Welcome to Tony's Civil War Museum, the podcast. Uh, my name's Tony, uh, head of Tony's Civil War Museum, and today we are going to be uh, doing a commemorative uh, podcast episodes, a, little, a few series, like maybe two episodes, uh, to commemorate the Battle of Shiloh, which happened on April 6th and April 7th of 1862. So we're going to be putting out two episodes, one uh, today on April 6th and one tomorrow, April 7th. Uh, we will be reading some accounts of the Battle of Shiloh, about the Battle of Shiloh, and there's one specific account that I will be reading uh, about uh, two veterans who fought at the Battle of Shiloh, met, I mean, meet each other uh, at Chicago, Illinois, where the Shiloh panorama uh, was uh, displayed. Uh, but first off, we're going to have a little bit of fun. I have this uh, Civil War quiz and fact book. It's by Rod Gragg is what it says. Uh, let's see. It was made in, I'm flipping through here. It says it was made 1985. But there's, the whole book is a quiz book. So I went through it, looked for uh, questions to ask you, the uh, listeners, uh, for you to answer yourselves. So what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you some questions, but I will not tell you the answer until tomorrow's episode. So uh, you'll have to uh, make sure you write down your answers or remember your answers for tomorrow. Here's the first question. Who commanded the Union and Confederate forces whose clash opened the Battle of Shiloh at dawn on April 6th of 1862? Once again, who commanded the Union and Confederate forces whose clash opened the Battle of Shiloh at dawn on April 6th of 1862. So, whose forces, both Union and Confederate, uh, clashed to open the Battle of Shiloh? All right. Uh, please, uh, I mean, you can look this up if you want to, if you don't know. Uh, but try to try to figure it out by researching it through books. If you have any Civil War history books, if you don't, you can research it online and uh, give your answer in uh, tomorrow. Or actually, today on Spotify, uh, there's a new... There's a new, uh, what should I say, new, gosh, I can't think of the word, a new element, I guess you can say, to Spotify's podcast, which allows me to put out a little answer form to where I can ask you guys a question, and you could type in an answer, so I will try to put in this question, so you could type in your answer, and it'll come back to me, but that is the first question. We are going to get started reading Company H by Samuel Watkins. Uh, of the 1st Tennessee Regiment in the uh, Confederate Army uh, during the American Civil War. Uh, We're going to be reading his Shiloh account, which is just five pages. And that's going to be our first podcast episode today. I'll ask a few more questions after I read, and then we'll end the podcast. And then the answers for the questions uh, I will give you in tomorrow's podcast. So let me flip through there to my bookmark page. All right, <clears throat> chapter two. Shiloh, and this is Samuel Watkins' uh, account. This was the first big battle in which our regiment had ever been engaged. I do not pretend to tell of what command distinguished itself of heroes, of blood and wounds, of shrieks and groans, of brilliant charges, of cannon captured, etc. I was but a private soldier, and if I happened to look to see if I could find out anything, eyes right, guide center was the order. Close up, guide right, halt, forward, right oblique, left oblique. Halt, forward, steady, double quick, charge bayonets, fire at will is about all that the private soldier ever knows of a battle. He can see the smoke rise and the flash of the enemy's guns, and he can hear the whistle of the mini and the cannonballs 
but as he, but he has got to load and shoot as hard as he can tear and ram cartridges, or he will soon find out, like the Irishman who had been shooting blank cartridges when a ball happened to strike him, and he howled out, Faith, Pat, and be jabbers, them fellows are shooting bullets. But I nevertheless remember many things that came under my observation of this battle. I remember a man by the name of uh, Smith stepping deliberately out of the ranks and shooting his finger off to keep out of the fight. Of another poor fellow who was accidentally shot and killed by the discharge of another person's gun. And of others suddenly take sick with colic. Our regiment was the advance guard on Saturday evening and did a little skirmishing. But General Gladden's brigade passed us and assumed the position in our immediate front. About daylight on Sunday morning, Chalmers' brigade relieved Gladden's. As Gladden rode by us, a courier rode up and told him something. I do not know what it was, but I heard Gladden say, Tell General Bragg that I have as, that I have as keen a scent for Yankees as General Chalmers has. On Sunday morning, a clear, beautiful, and still day, the order was given for the whole army to advance and to attack immediately. We were supporting an Alabama regiment. The fire opened. Bang, bang, bang. A rattle to bang, bang, bang. A boom to bang, 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 boom. Bang, 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 boom, bang, bang, bang. Where was is is a ripping, roaring boom, bang. I'm just going to take a break for a second to say I am not rapping. That is literally what it says in the book. The air was full of balls and deadly missiles. The litter corps was carrying off the dead and wounded. We could hear the shout of the charge and the incessant roar of the guns, the rattle of the musketry, and knew that the contending forces were engaged in a breast-to-breast struggle. But cheering news hailed with, Well, what news from the front? Well, boys, we are driving them. We have captured all their encampments, everything that they have had, and all their provisions and army stores and everything. As we were advancing to the attack and to support the Alabama Brigade in our front, and which had given way and were stricken with fear, some of the boys of our regiment would laugh at him and ask him what they were running for and would commence to say, flicker, 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 like the bird called the yellow hammer. Flicker, flicker, flicker. As we advanced on the edge of the battlefield, we saw a big, fat colonel of the 23rd Tennessee Regiment, badly wounded, whose name, if I remember correctly, was, Ma- was Matthew Martin. He said to us, give him DOS, boys. That's right, my brave first Tennessee. Give him hail Columbia. We halted but a moment and said, and said I, Colonel, where are you wounded? He answered in a deep bass voice, My son, I am wounded in the arm, in the leg, in the head, in the body, and in another place which I have a delicacy in mentioning. That is what the gallant old colonel said. Turning to page here. Advancing a little further on, we saw General Albert Sidney Johnson surrounded by his staff and Governor Harris of Tennessee. We saw some little commotion among those who surrounded him, but we did not know at the time that he was dead. The fact was kept from the troops. About noon, a courier dashed up and ordered us to go forward and support General Bragg Center. We had to pass over the ground where troops had been fighting all day. I had heard and read of battlefields, seen pictures of battlefields, of horses and men, of cannon and wagons, all jumbled together while the ground was strewn with dead and dying and wounded. But I must confess that I never realized the pomp and circumstance of the thing called glorious war until I saw this. Men were lying in every conceivable position. The dead lying with their eyes wide open. The wounded begging piteously for our help. And some waving their hats and shouting to, to us to go forward. It all seemed to me a dream. 
I seem to be in a sort of haze when it sizz, 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 the mini balls from, a, from the Yankee line begin to whistle around my, our ears. And I thought of the Irishman when he said, sure enough, those fellows are shooting bullets. Down would drop first one fellow and then another, either killed or wounded, when we were ordered to charge bayonets. I had been feeling mean all the morning as if I had stolen a sheep, but when the order to charge was given, I was not happy. I mean, I got happy, excuse me. I felt happier than a fellow does when he professes religion at a big Methodist camp meeting, I shouted. It was fun then. Everybody looked happy. We were crowding them. One more charge earned their lines waver and break. They retreat in wild confusion. We were jubilant. We were triumphant. Officers could not curb the men to keep in line. Discharge after discharge was poured into the retreating line. The federal dead and wounded covered the ground. We're in the very midst of our victory. Turning the pager. In the very midst of our victory, here comes an order to halt. What? Halt after today's victory? Sidney Johnson killed, General Gladden killed, and a host of generals and other brave men killed? And the whole Yankee army in full retreat? These four letters, HALT, H-A-L-T. Oh, how harsh they did break upon our ears. The victory was complete, but the word HALT turned victory into defeat. The soldiers had passed through the Yankee camps and saw all the good things that they had to eat in their settler stores and officers' marquees, and it was but a short time before every soldier was rummaging to see what he could find. The harvest was great and the laborers were not few. The Negro boys who were with their young masters as servants got rich. Greenbacks were plentiful. Good clothes were plentiful. Rations were not in demand. The boys were in clover. This was Sunday. On Monday, the tide was reversed. Now those Yankees were whipped, fairly whipped, and according to all the rules of war, they ought to have retreated. But they didn't. Flushed with their victories at Fort Henry and Donaldson and the capture of Nashville and the whole state of Tennessee having fallen into their hands, victory was again to perch upon their banners. For Buell's army, by forced marches, had come to Grant's assistance at the 11th hour. Gunboats and transports were busily crossing Buell's army all of Sunday night. We could hear their boats ringing, in, ringing their bells and hear the puff of smoke and steam from their boilers. Our regiment was the advance outpost and we saw the skirmish line of the Federals advancing, then their main line, and then their artillery. We made a good fight on Monday morning, and I was taken by surprise when the order came for us to retreat instead of advance. But as I said before, reader, a private soldier is but an automaton, and knows nothing of what is going on among the generals, and I am only giving the chronicles of little things and events that came under my own observation as I saw them, and then remember them now. Should you desire to find out more about the battle, I refer, you, I refer to you to history. One incident I recollect very well. A Yankee, colonel of, a Yankee colonel riding a fine gray mare was sitting on his horse looking at our advance as if we were on review. W.H., who was W.H.O. Wallace. No, excuse me. I'm sorry. W.H.O. Wallace was Union uh, Commander. Uh, W.H., uh, I have no idea who this guy is, but he, uh, evidently he's a Confederate commander. Sorry for that confusion. W.H. rushed forward and grabbed his horse by the bridle, telling him at the same time to surrender. The Yankee seized the reins, set himself back in the saddle, put the muzzle of the pistol in W.H.'s face, and fired. About the time he pulled the trigger, straight ball from, one, from some direction struck him in the side, and he fell off dead. And his horse, becoming frightened, frightened, galloped off, dragging him through the Confederate lines. His pistol had missed its aim. Oh, okay, so yeah, that is actually W.H.O. Wallace, because he was talking about Yankee Colonel. Uh, that was at the Hornet's Nest, uh, 
WHO Wallace's line was breaking and wavering as uh, Sam Watkins is uh, is uh, recollecting and reporting to us. And uh, WHO Wallace tried to rally his troops. Uh, he stood still and he just got he got shot pretty bad as uh, Watkins explains. And just for a little spoiler alert. Uh, uh, for the night, this was uh, April 6th, the night of April 6th, um, some Union soldiers went out past Confederate lines because the Confederate line, the Confederate lines has, had passed the Hornet's Nest at this point. It was something like four or five Union soldiers <clears throat> went in and got W.H.O. Wallace's body, carried it back to Pittsburgh Landing, where he was rec- recuperating on a, uh, on a steamer, on a steamship. And then he was transported to a hospital nearby. And if I can remember correctly, oh, I'm trying to think. I want to say it was at least a month, if not two or three weeks, that he was fighting, uh, fighting death. And uh, he ended up for a few days uh, looking like he would pull through uh, his wounds and live. But unfortunately... A few days after that, he passed and died. And uh, W.H.L. Wallace, I cannot remember where he was buried. But you know what? That might be a question for me to ask you to find out so I can learn. Where is W.H.L. Wallace buried? All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Back to, uh, back to uh, Company H. I've heard hundreds of old soldiers tell of the amount of greenback money they saw and picked up on the battlefield of Shalu. But they thought it valueless and did not trouble themselves with bringing it off with him. One fellow, a courier who had his horse killed, got on a mule he had captured, and the last charge before the final fatal halt was made, just charged right ahead by his own self. And the soldier said, Just look at that brave man charging right into the jaws of death. He began to seesaw the mule and grit his teeth, and finally yelled out, It aren't me, boys! It's the blarsted old mule! Whoa, whoa! One Monday, on Monday morning, I too captured me a mule. <laughs> he was not a fast mule. And I soon found out that he thought as much as he he thought he knew as much as I did. He was wise in his own conceit. He had a propensity to take every hog path he came to. All the bomba- all the bombasting and the, that I could give him would not make him accelerate his speed. If blood makes speed, I do not suppose he had a drop of any kind in him. If I wanted him to go on one side of the road, he was sure to be possessed out of equal desire to go on the other side. Finally, I and my mule fell out. I got a big hickory and would frail him over the head, and he would only shake his head and flop his ears and seem to say, Well, now, you think you're smart, don't you? <laughs> he was a resolute mule, slow to anger, and would have made an excellent merchant to refuse bad pay. Or, I will pay your credit. For his whole composition seemed to be made up of one word, no. I, fre- I frequently thought it would be uh, pleasant to, sp- to uh, split the difference with that mule, and I would gladly have done so if I could have gotten one half of his no. Me and Mule worried along until we came to a creek. Mule did not desire to cross until I was trying to persuade him with a big stick. A rock in his ear and a twister on his nose. A caisson of an old battery was about to cross. The driver said, I'll take your mule over for you. <laughs> so he got a large two-inch rope tied one end around the mule's neck and the other to the caisson and ordered the driver to the whip. The mule was loath to take to the water. He was no Baptist and did not believe in immersion. And he had his views about crossing streams. But the rope began to tighten. The mule to squeal out his 
his protestations, yeah, protestations against such villainous proceedings. The rope, however, was stronger than the mule's no, and he was finally prevailed upon by the strength of the rope to cross the creek. On my taking the rope off, he shook himself and seemed to say, You think that you're a pretty smart folk, but you're a little too smart. I gave it up that that mule's no was a little stronger than my determination. He seemed to be in deep meditation. I got on him again, when all of a sudden he lifted his head, pricked up his ears, began to champ his bit. I gave a little squeal, got a little faster, and finally into a gallop and then a run. He seemed all at once to have remembered or to have forgotten something. It was now making up for lost time. With all my pulling and seesawing and strength, I could not stop him until he brought up with me at Corinth, Mississippi. So that is Samuel Watkins' account of the Battle of Shiloh. And a pretty interesting one and a pretty graphic one, which war is graphic. Uh, A while back, I came up with a quote that's on Instagram saying, and I'm paraphrasing because I'm trying to remember what I said exactly, saying, War is horrible. We must remember the graphic nature of it in order to have the honor and respect for the men that fought in the American Civil War. Not just the American Civil War, but in every war. And ain't that the truth. All right, so I'm going to give you guys uh, one more question to answer, to type in on on the little uh, answer question. key there on Spotify. If you're not listening on Spotify, uh, then uh, just, you you can email TonySivWormsGame at Hotmail.com. I mean, this isn't a competition. This is just for your guys' entertainment. Uh, So once again, I will ask this question that I asked at the beginning of the podcast saying, who commanded the Union and Confederate forces whose clash opened the Battle of Shiloh at dawn on April 6th of 1862? One more time. Who commanded the Union and Confederate forces whose clash opened the Battle of Shiloh at dawn on April 6th of 1862? And I will give you one more, one more uh, question here. Going through the book I have marked. Let's see here. Here we go. Where was Ulysses S. Grant when his army was struck by the surprise Confederate attack at Shiloh on April 6th, 1862? Once again, where was Ulysses S. Grant when his army was struck by the surprise Confederate attack at Shiloh on April 6th, 1862? Thank you guys for listening to uh, this podcast episode from Tony's Civil War Museum, the podcast. If you haven't checked out uh, our YouTube channel, be sure to check out because today on April 6th at 10 a.m., our video, a video went live, a wargaming video on our channel about the Battle of Shiloh. I go through some brief history about the Battle of Shallow. Then uh, we refight it on the tabletop. And uh, these, this was pre-recorded, so it's not live, but it's premiering. So you can watch it in real time at 10 a.m. April 6th, uh, today, and any other time you wish to, you wish to uh, watch it. It's on there. Uh, we use the rule set Blood in the Valley, which is an ACW rule set for 10 to 15 millimeter scale, which I have uh, designed and published. I will put that link in the podcast notes below. And as well, we are going to be having, actually I can't tell you what we're having because you have to watch the uh, war game video uh, to see if it actually happens. So be sure to tune in to that video. 
Thank you guys for listening. If you like Tony Savoy's podcast, be sure to subscribe, leave us a five-star review, and tell your friends about Tony Savoy's the podcast and our YouTube channel. Don't forget to go on over to the YouTube channel. Click subscribe to that as well. Uh, currently, we are at 68 subscribers. I hope to get to 70 pretty soon, and you could be that difference maker in getting us to 70 subscribers.